Avengers, Age of Ultron is garbage, folks. Is it an alligator or a crocodile? I don't know the difference, and at this point, I'm too afraid to ask. Look at that. That is a werewolf. <laughs> what is up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Den of Geek Presents Marvel Standing Live, where each week we give you the deepest possible dives on all the goings on in the MCU, Marvel Comics, and beyond. And this week, we are trading Jersey City for Karachi for another big episode of Ms. Marvel. With me, for all time and always, we have Denny Geek News and Features Editor Kirsten Howard. And since Alec Bajalit is off this week, we have not one, but two special guests. The returning and scene-stealing Den of Geek uh, Audience Development Coordinator, Muzna Shahzad, and new face for the Standom crew, let's welcome Pop Culture Planet TV and film critic, Kristen Maldonado. Kristen, anything else you want to tell people about you? Um, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to talk with you guys about Miss Marvel. This has been one of my favorite uh, Marvel TV shows that they've done. You know, I love uh, young adult story, and this is right up my alley. So excited to be here and, and chat with you guys. This is good. It means you're not going to ruin the, like, we're, we were three for three on Good Vibes episodes of Marvel Standom, thanks to Ms. Marvel. So... You were carefully chosen not to ruin that vibe this week. So, uh, <laughs> you know, but before we dig into all of the high adventure of this week's episode, let's take a minute. We want to look around the rest of the MCU. Notably, there's a big Easter egg from Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness that folks didn't fully put together until it landed on Disney Plus last week. If you check out denegeek.com slash Marvel, you'll see an article from the great Joe George, a frequent Marvel stand-in guest, uh, who, you know, wrote about the fact that there was a pretty big Doctor Doom tease that we all overlooked the first time around in that movie. And that is that when Reed Richards, may, sorry, spoilers for <laughs> Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, <laughs> folks. The movie's been out for almost two months at this point. If you, if you haven't heard, if the internet hasn't spoiled this for you by now, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, but when Reed Richards makes his big appearance in that Illuminati scene, he appears via this like blue rectangle, which is meant to be Doctor Doom's time platform from the character's very first appearance uh, in Fantastic Four number five, uh, when he was created by Jack, uh, Jack Kirby and Stan Lee. Sure enough, I mean, it makes perfect sense. If that corner of the MCU's multiverse has a Reed Richards and has a Fantastic Four, of course they have a Victor Von Doom. But if there's a Victor Von Doom there, there's a Victor Von Doom in the 616 MCU. So we put the question out to social media, asking fans who they think should play Dr. Doom in the MCU. And we got some interest, interesting responses. Now, Kirsty is our uh, resident uh, Victor Von Doom apologist. And uh, <laughs> do you want to take us through some of uh, some of the interesting choices that our uh, that our audience put out into the universe, hoping to manifest some uh, some Doctor Doom in the MCU? Yeah, we got some interesting choices from uh, social media on well, Twitter specifically, and we also got some good responses on the site. Uh, from Twitter, Josh Chapman says that Paddy Considine 
would make a excellent Doctor Doom. Uh, Richardo464 says, I've always thought Michael Shannon would be a standout as Doom. The menace and gravitas he'd bring would be a pitch perfect. Meanwhile, friend of the Marvel stand and crew, Al Kennedy, love that guy, uh, suggests Killian Murphy. Um, while John Edamook is all about Jason Isaacs. Um, Temple Phoenix says, it's a tough one because you need someone who has the coiled menace and dignified presence of a Charles Dance, and yet all the full-throttle honey-glazed ham of a Matt Berry all at once. And I think that's a very excellent point made there. Uh, meanwhile, on comments from the site, someone said, Stephen Amal, I think it's a left field choice, but I can see it. And I wonder how Amal would do as a bad guy. Uh, Tommy Rayko suggested Rem Rami Malek. Um, but here's one from Roy M. Look, it's obvious if John Krasinski is Reed Richards, then Dr. Doom can only be Rain Wilson. <laughs> Andrew's, been at <laughs> Andrew's been at the Photoshop again. Kristen. Do you have a choice for Dr. Doom or do you like any of the choices that our, uh, that our audience suggested? Yeah, I was thinking of some, but I mean, I love, I loved that whole Rain Wilson. That was hilarious. <laughs> um, but some people I was thinking about Rahul Kohli from Midnight Mass and, and I Zombie and, and uh, Bly Manor, I think could be really cool. We've seen him in these very like either kind of like comedic roles or very like, you just love him kind of roles. Like very, like he, Tugs in your heart shrinks. So it'd be cool to see him as like a villain. Um, and also Patrick Warburton, a little bit more comedic, but I don't know. I think there could be something there. He's He's got like that whole, you know, he's got the voice, right? It took three clips and a flamethrower to bring her down. But let me tell you, old Miss Percy's cat never went in that tree again. A very gravitas voice. So maybe something like that. I like the uh, Rami Malek and uh, Gillian Murphy choices, but I would also want to see someone like David Dennant come back. I know he's already an MCU villain um, for Jessica Jones, but um, he's just, you, you can see him take that villain role and kind of be sinister, but at the same time kind of be um, childlike, as uh, Kirsty was mentioning on one of the content. Uh, comments. I, I see that happening and I and I really, really enjoyed him and Jessica Jones. So like if there's a way to get him back, that would be great. Lee is suggesting Vigo Mortensen and he's he's probably too old, but Vigo Mortensen. And you know what? I disagree about Vigo being too old, although I will never forgive uh forgive him for Green Book. Uh but that aside, I think both Doom and Reed should be a little bit older than your usual MCU folks. Like I like the idea that they're part of a a slightly removed generation than what we what we would normally expect. Um you mentioned David Tennant. Musna, and that kind of brings me back to if this was 10 years ago, if you would have asked me in 2012 who my ideal Reed and Doom pairing would have been, it would have been Matt Smith for Reed and Benedict Cumberbatch as Doom. Obviously, uh, you know, one of those completely off the table. And honestly, I don't know if Matt Smith is really the guy for Reed anymore. Uh, Chris and I love Raul Coley, although he's kind of my Reed. Uh, so... Yeah, like, it's tough for me. Uh, of what the fans suggested, I really like Jason Isaacs, though. Mm. Uh, I could really get behind that. And that's kind of hits the, uh, hits a little bit of the Vigo thing there, too. But he's, uh, <laughs> Matt Smith is too busy being in Morbius. Get out of here, Lee. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Kirsty, how about you? 
Okay, well, I think that Kristen is onto something in that sometimes you need somebody who's more known for comedic stuff to play somebody who's that much of a, it can be that much of a mustache twirler, you know. And so my left field choice for Doom right now is Matthew McConaughey. And I'll, <laughs> I'll back it up. I just think if you've seen Killer Joe, he is absolutely capable of being terrifying and like unsettlingly funny at the same time. And that's a weird skill to master, which is probably why we don't see him do it too often. But I think that it would be an interesting choice. And I'd, I'd like to see more evil Matthew McConaughey in the movies. So yeah, why not? But if we're going for the ultimate, you know, crossover, what... Um, a coup for Marvel Studios would it be if they got Anthony Starr? Ooh. I do like that. Mm. I think that might be the winner. I mean, I guess with Doom, you run into the same problem that you, you know, that you run into with a lot of folks is like, this is a character who has to wear a mask for most of the movie. And I can see a lot of actors really resisting that. Unless you go, you know, the Darth Vader route where you have... You know, you had David Prowse in the suit and you had James Earl Jones doing the voice, like unless they wanted to go that route for Doom. And like, you know, the voice actor is the guy, you know, the pre-armor Doom or whatever. I don't know. I, I'm curious, Kirsty, where you fall on the level of Doom disfigurement that we should be going with here, because that was always the big, the big thing, particularly with Stanley and Jack Kirby, where it was like, you know, it's like, okay, is this guy like like horribly burned under that mask? Or is he just so vain that he just has like this one little scar from that incident? And to him, that's too much. And he's got to <laughs> hide it. He's just got to hide it away. And I feel like Anthony Starr kind of fits the latter uh, version of that pretty well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the comics have gone back and forth on that on occasion too. But for me, it's always better when you just don't know what the situation is under the mask. So, uh, yeah, I'd like to I'd like to see a, a kind of questionable doom. Like maybe we don't ever know, uh, and that's fine with me. But so this has to be an actor that's fine with maybe never never taking off that mask, right? Um, and that's going to be uh, a very hard pick. Well, that's it for this week's Dr. Doom Standom, folks. We'll be back <laughs> next week. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we have a whole episode of Ms. Marvel to get to. So, and I feel like, <laughs> I feel like we've, you know, I, I think we ambushed everybody a little bit with this much Doom talk. Um, but <laughs> we will, we, I get the feeling that in the coming months, there will be ample opportunity to dig into the, the potential of the Fantastic Four in the MCU. And I'm really looking forward to that because I'm a big Fantastic Four fan. So, and I know that Kirsty is going to uh, continue to, to fly the Latverian flag for us. <laughs> um, but let's get into uh, Ms. Marvel episode four, because this is a lot of fun. It's certainly the most action packed episode yet. Kirsty, you wanna, you wanna run down how this one, how this one went? Absolutely. In the fourth episode of Ms. Marvel, Kamala Khan travels to Pakistan to learn about the Bengal. After she gets there and begins to investigate the train vision she saw last week, Kamala is ambushed by Kareem, aka Red Dagger, who takes her to his HQ. Kamala then discovers a little bit more about the clandestine threat and the Nora energy that separates our dimension from theirs. The clandestine escape the DODC and also travel to Pakistan insanely quickly, by the way. 
Did anyone notice that? It seems to happen in like eight seconds. Um, sorry, where a showdown between the group ends with Kamala being transported to partition. We were promised like big Indiana Jones style adventure in Moon Knight, I feel. And we kind of, it never really quite delivered on that feeling. This episode of Ms. Marvel has that where it's just like, action set piece to action set piece with this hero who is you know despite her powers is like very very human and like a little bit kind of stumbling from success to success in the course of it and it's just it just makes me root for her even more so i had a really good time with this even though i am completely sleep deprived and like did not fully absorb all of the actual story elements and mythology that was going on in this episode before we get to musna kristen how how have you been feeling about the show as a whole and how this episode fits into those vibes so far yeah i mean i've really been enjoying miss marvel um i love that it was set up as this like young adult story that i feel like we haven't necessarily seen before in the world of Marvel at all. Like this is like, you know, this, this coming of age story that then you have that superhero twist. And I think now we're really getting into like the super aspects of it. But one of the things that I found so fascinating and that I feel like they're delivering right now is that idea that her powers and everything come from her culture and her family, which I think is just so exciting to be able to see that that's like such an important part of like where her abilities come from and like what her destiny is leading to. Um, and so then the fact that in this episode, we got to go to Pakistan and, and actually learn more about that and see how that comes to light was just really exciting to me. So I, I love that whole idea that like, we got to go into her culture to like really understand where her powers come from and where she comes from and what's next. I personally kind of realized as I'm watching this, I'm like, I don't know that I've ever seen anything like really kind of exploring, you know, certainly exploring the city of Karachi, which I know, I guess it wasn't actually filmed there, right, Musna? Is that, yeah, am yeah. I understanding that right? Yeah, it wasn't filmed there, but uh, a lot of the B-roll shots, they're um, Karachi, so they're not actually there, but you get to see um, the city, yes. Yeah, it was it was a really different for me. And I mean, I guess that like speaks to my own media diet, but I think <laughs> um no, I I I loved it. So Mosna, why don't you tell us your thoughts on the episode? This is my city. Like I I was in literal tears, and I'm not even kidding. Like I saw the first episode and I love that they um kind of take us to Karachi right off the bat. Um there's no waiting there. Um from there's just there's so much in that one episode that she could fit about Karachi. There's there are jokes that people from Karachi would know. And then others would be like, wait, what? Like literally it starts off with people getting up before the plane even lands. And I kid you not happens every second. Like the air hostess is like, please sit down, please. Um, and getting that. And then right off when she comes out of the airport, there's like signboards of Karachi. And then also there are like Easter eggs of, um, Abdul Salam, who was a physicist uh, in for Pakistan, and he's a legend, and also Kandil Baloch, who's who was honor killed, and one of the the director who's directing the episode, she had um, she won an Oscar for one of the documentaries on honor killings. Um, there was a Karachi board of like a welcoming team Karachi, all of that they fit in um, beautifully. Her relationship to her nani and it and it reminded me so much of my own relationship with my grandmother um all of the visuals 
so beautiful the songs um i i can't tell you every every pakistani classic that i love was in this was in this episode um they got my favorite food in the episode which they had to because uh, biryani is a huge huge part of karachi we are very proud of it um and having that and having that out of a bag that's very very um karachiesque i would say and seeing kamala kind of learn about her culture and going through all of this and having those family moments and we getting to learn about her character it was all so much and like waiting all of those three episodes to get here i would say this one was actually my favorite episode till now um i i i i can't stop watching it like it's just like i keep putting it on my tv screen every time it's just beautiful and if i was to like sit down and actually go through all of the karachi specific easter eggs that um sharmeen obed chennai put in her uh, in this episode it would take uh, the whole day so i i loved it i absolutely loved it Kirsty, how about you? Yeah, it's weird because in terms of the cent- the sort of central mystery of the bangle and those visions and how they're happening, um, we don't get a lot further along in the story than we were last week. But there are so many wonderful moments um, in Karachi with Kamala and her nanny and her mother. I just think that there was just so many that really touched me, specifically when nanny says that um, she finds beauty in the pieces because she's lost so much over the years and I, I was honestly getting choked up and I, this is the first time in a Marvel show I think I've I shed a tear over something which I think goes to show you know what a great job they've done with Kamala Khan and, and just every character uh, the introduction of the Red Dagger which I'm sure we'll talk about in a bit um, it felt a little bit rushed for me but other than that um, I think that uh, this was a, a particular special episode not just of Ms. Marvel but of Marvel TV to date we should probably talk about the Red Dagger uh, <laughs> and you know what gave I you will, that idea yeah well and and the funny thing is is that this was the first episode for me that kind of moved well beyond the first volume of the Ms. Marvel comic you know like the the first series ran from you know 2014 to late 2015 or something like that and then it was 2015 to 2016, they just started it with a new number one, like Marvel does that all the time. But I have not read that far, you know, like I've only read the first 30 or so issues of Ms. Marvel. And those first three episodes felt very in line with that, right? So here, Red Dagger is a character that I did not even know existed until he appeared on screen. And then I just went back and and read his first appearance right before we came on the air today. And once again, this show is doing such a good job of remaining perfectly faithful to the spirit of the character and that initial story, you know, but still remixing it in like completely unexpected ways, you know? So this is a character that I'm going to end up getting to know more about over the course of these next three episodes rather than with any kind of pre-existing comic book knowledge. And that's really refreshing for me, but I could tell just from reading that very first appearance, which I think was in Ms. Marvel volume two, number 12, uh, from 2016, I could tell just from Musna's nodding. So I got it right. Okay. Like, um, <laughs> I can tell already that just like everybody else we've met, this character is kind of in good hands with this actor and with this whole creative team. So I'm into it. 
Uh, Musna, what, what else can you tell us about Red Dagger? Um, I, I will say, uh, when uh, Kirsty, like you mentioned, yes, it was rushed in the movie, but even in the comics, when Red Dagger is introduced, he is introduced in a rushed way. Um, it, it feels different because you're reading the comics, but they don't go into depth about it because that issue is Kamala going to Karachi alone. And then she meets this uh, Kareem, who's in fact um, living at her nani's um, house. Um, and she kind of gets his room and they have like a, a kind of like a, not a fight, but like a discussion there. There's an issue in Karachi going on that, um, Kamala wants to fight for. So she turns into Miss Marvel and she's like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna help them out. Um, and then when she does that, um, you see Red Dagger as Karim as Red Dagger appear um, and help her out. But he's just like, you know, you don't know the circumstances of this city because you're also American. You don't know how things work here. So you should leave it to people who actually know, like for example, the vigilante who was. And I think that's that's an interesting insight. And I like that she she listens to him about that and she understands that, yeah, I, I don't I don't know the circumstances of the situation. So um I think Red Dagger is probably one of the one of the characters that whose origin I love. Um and in in later, I don't I don't know if this is a spoiler, but Don't worry, we'll fix that in post. Uh, Kristen, what are your <laughs> what are your first impressions of Red Dagger? Well, I, I like that uh, we got to learn more about like the the warriors that kind of work alongside him, and you know their cool secret hideout in the the restaurant, and um, and that that gives us more information on like actually like should Kamala be helping the clandestines, and like is that really a safe thing to be doing? Spoiler alert, it's not a safe thing to do. The world will potentially be over. Um, so, you know, it's I like that we have these people that are able to sort of help guide Kamala. We think maybe the clandestines could be like an ally to her and clearly they're not. So hopefully the Red Daggers won't betray her. That's that's my hope. <laughs> I'm just delighted that uh, Kamala Khan's got three potential boyfriends now. I mean, what an inspiration <laughs> to us all. That's yeah. great, isn't it? And they're all, as, as Alec would say, they're all beefcakes. So. <laughs> <laughs> She's living her best life. Right. I love this story for her. Right. So even though there's this superhero stuff going on, we still got that young adult like, oh, she's got love potential. You know, she's got options going on. <laughs> and I just, you know, what? and and once again, I continue to just like every character, like, and probably I'm way too trusting of every character on this show. But it's just like, I'm just like rooting for all of them. It's like, however you kids want to work this out, like, go for it. Just be good to each other. It's really refreshing. Um, and I like the, uh, I have to say the, the the hideout is top notch. Like it's rare that we, we haven't seen like a proper secret hideout on one of these shows. Like, I don't think any of the MCU shows, you know, like we had a, you know, we had a, we had a, a headquarters, like a headquarters for, for the TVA on Loki, but not like a hideout like this. So I really enjoyed it. Like anything that feels like it's bringing you into a secret world, like a corner of the MCU that we haven't seen that we're not that familiar with. I'm all about it. And I, I don't think, I don't think that could have been done better than they did it here. Talking of like secret hideouts, this actually reminded me a bit of the, um, 
moment in Age of Ultron where um, Tony Stark finds Hydra's secret hideout in the castle and he he goes, oh, yay, secret door. And that's all I could think in my head. <laughs> this episode. Look, you know what happens when you mention Age of Ultron on the show. I know. Uh, you have to tell us what you think of it. <laughs> it's garbage, folks. Uh, what can I say? <laughs> Kirsty, you put uh, something on the run of run a show here. It's uh, to Jin or not to Jin. Muzna, you had pretty strong feelings about this element of the storytelling uh, in last week's episode. What did episode four bring to this? Did it change your mind at all? How, how are you feeling about where they're taking this story now? Um, I like how um, Farhan Akhtar, who plays Walid, he addressed uh, Jins in a way like, um, yeah, but they're not kind of how you expect them to be in the religious context. They're just something that people call something that's unusual. And I understand that because in, in, even in our culture, like if something is un, unusual or powerful or something that we don't understand, we would just say like, oh, jinn, right? Um, and he gives an example of if the Thor, if Thor was like in the Himalayan mountains, like you would call him jinn, which is understandable. I like that they, they kind of um, address those concerns. Um, I still don't understand why we needed that name drop. Uh, maybe it was just a cultural thing that um, was there, but I didn't think that they needed to do it. I'm not upset because they did handle it um, in episode four. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't think it was necessary to to add that in. I will say, and I'm not defending it because I don't have particularly strong feelings about this, but I finally read up on uh, on the clandestine a little bit. I still have not read an actual clandestine comic. Like I, I had to, I had to be lazy and like read some wikis and in the comics, like they, they are part of like a bloodline from somebody who, you know, married, married a gin. Right. So like, um, I guess the idea here then is that if that is still the case, then this is still just some other dimensional being, you know, that, as we saw here, they're just kind of calling that for the sake of it. So I guess it makes sense. Anyway, that's enough out of me. Any Anybody else have thoughts on the gin within the MCU and the clandestine? No, is the clandestine like really like such an uninspiring concept? Like, <laughs> I mean, like I will say, I guess like if, the, if these are the primary antagonists of the show, like they haven't really sold me on that aspect of it yet, right? I will say from what I've heard about the clandestine comics from people who have actually read it, especially like Muslims, they don't really like it because I think it follows the general trope that I was talking about with jinns and, and how Muslims are. And I, I think that's the, the general way that it's perceived and they don't like, like it at all. So I, I understand that even name dropping it, they were just like, please don't go there. Do you think the show has the chance to redeem that at all? Um, I think they're they're probably not following through on that exact storyline. Maybe they're trying to take that what, what that comic was and turn it into okay, this is what this culture is actually about. These are gins, and I think they they address it really well in episode four. So I'm I'm very hopeful that um, from the director Shermino Betchina, we're going to see more of our an accurate representation of the religion and culture and not apparently what the comics were. So one more thing on the clandestine is just that dimension that they're talking about and that we've kind of glimpsed here and there. Is this another Fantastic Four connection? See, folks, you thought we were done talking about the Fantastic Four this week and you were wrong. 
could this be a reference to the negative zone? What is, uh, where does everybody fall on this one? Well, I was going to ask you, Mike, because I know very little about the negative zone, really. And I thought that you might know a bit more about it. I have thought in the past that other things might be the negative zone. Like I thought, <laughs> well, seriously, like I thought, you know, we were kind of headed there with the Ant-Man movies, for example. So clearly, like, I'm not really the best uh, judge of this. Yeah, like it does kind of seem like the kind of thing and the color scheme that they're using for it does kind of match up with Annihilus, who is a denizen of the negative zone. So I kind of wonder if maybe they could be going there, but I, I don't know. Uh, anybody can help me out here. Uh, Kristen, you have any thoughts on this one? I have no idea. But, <laughs> um, you know, I do think, though, they're going in like an interesting place where it's like whatever happens, like they're either going to be saving the world or the world's going to be taken over by this whole other dimension. So, I mean, they're going to save the world, right? Like they have to save the world. That's the whole point of superheroes. Right. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just as curious as you guys are. I do feel like though, my, my theory around this season is just that like, whatever's going to happen will happen. Maybe once Kamala lets her family in, like, I feel like they've been like hinting at these things of just like her family and her culture. And like, once she finally, like, I mean, maybe her maybe her parents need to know like where they come from and everything, and then everything will finally come together. That's that's my kind of thought process with this season. I can get behind that. Uh, like, I mean, look, as we keep talking about, these shows do not have to be particularly beholden to the letter of the comics, and like just the way that they're remixing Kamala's origin, you know, into something that is now so far removed, like even further removed from the comics than I initially thought it would be. And it's working. Like I have absolutely no issues with it. And I'm just like completely invested. I feel like I'm kind of like dismissing the whole clandestine element of it. The world building that we get in this episode, I'm more invested in this than I was in the entire, in the entire Eternals movie, for example, you know, so it does show how, Marvel can still effectively communicate these entirely new like counter societies within there effectively. I do think that this series runs with uh, a theme throughout the MCU, especially in its later stages, is that there is a hidden place in our world that we cannot see, much like uh, Wakanda, you know, was opened up sort of um but was invisible to people on the outside, Talo from Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. And now we have the dimension that the clandestine come from. It's possible if they keep going with this, they won't need to do anything in terms of the multiverse for uh, Doom or Fantastic Four. They could just say they are here, but they're in a different dimension. And we'll just sort of have to go along with it at this point. And I think the big draw for a lot of people is that is that chase scene like that is one of the most ambitious action sequences that i think any of the disney plus mcu shows have undertaken uh so let's go around the horn here and, and everybody tell me your favorite parts or, or what you thought of this as a whole uh, kristen why don't we start with you um i mean my favorite part had to be <laughs> when they like hit the bangle and we got transported to a completely different place. I mean, that that was my favorite part of, of this whole fight sequence because it is sort of like, what, there it is, what can her powers really do? You know, like, it just feels like 
they've ex- they've opened up this whole thing where like we could go anywhere now with her abilities like can is she time traveling is she like did that open up a rift into like another world that's sort of like just stuck in a different time like I don't know there's a lot of places you could go with that but it just seems like her powers were just like just starting to see what she can do yeah this this ending was interesting in a way that I don't think we'll be able to appreciate until we see next week's episode and and to see what exactly the plan is here narratively speaking like like Kristen said is she time traveling is this a pocket dimension that Aisha's stuck in where she is reliving this time over and over again um in terms of time traveling I feel like probably not because even though it's tempting to think that you know, perhaps the reason that uh, Kamala's grandmother made it out of Karachi or, or whatever alive at that part, during partition, uh, because Kamala was actually the one that went back and saved her. MCU time travel rules kind of um, go against that idea because they say that if you go back in time, you know, you don't change the future. You only create a branch reality, right? So, um, but the MCU time travel rules, rules continue to be an absolute headache. So who knows? So I'm looking forward to next week because, yeah, it would just be fun to see just a bit more um, explanation about these powers. And I'm, I'm really interested in how they're unfolding in this show. Oh my god you just broke my mind saying that what if it was Kamala that saved her oh <laughs> that would be crazy Woo. it would be really sweet but I just don't think the MCU is going to allow it because of its own very silly rules about time travel I I think going back to Kirsty's point in the start that was the fastest flight uh, from Jersey to Karachi that I have possibly seen. I, it was, and they knew exactly where she was, the travel time and the traffic in Karachi alone. It's, it's unbelievable <laughs> that they get there. Like it was a, it was literally a surprise when Najma was like, Oh, surprise. I was like, yeah, this is pretty surprising. Um, but like the whole setting it of it overall, like um, you see trucks and you see uh, rickshaws and they're a big part of Karachi street life. And you see those chintis where they actually um, uh, uh, Kamala and um, red dagger are traveling in that that's called a chinchi. Um, and we see that happening and all of the, um, um, the cute moments that put, they put in, in the thing where she, yeah, just, just like that. She's taking the driving thing again. And it's like going back to episode one where she crashes the, the vehicle. In, and it's just funny seeing that happen here. And then going to the partition scene where she's actually transported to 1947 um, India. Um, I, I understand the time travel perspective here that, it's possible that she's not going to be like saving um, Aisha and uh, because it's not how Marvel kind of goes with the time, time travel uh, story. But I do think that this is not a vision because if it is like, I, I would want to know like what's happening um, in real time. Like for example, did they kill Red Dagger? Did they kidnap him? What is she in a coma? Because I, I do think that this is probably another reality, but she does get to learn what actually happened in the night. Um, And even if she influences any of the events, I don't think they kind of impact um, the future. Like like, um, Professor Banner says um, in the end game where you were just like, if you go in the past, that now becomes your present. 
Um, so I don't think that's going to affect it, but I do think there is time travel involved here. Um, I don't think this is a vision. I have no idea what's going on, but <laughs> I do know that was an incredibly powerful final scene. Um, and if, you know, if you've watched this show for a while, you know, I'm usually the guy complaining about how sometimes visually these shows aren't really living up to their potential. This episode as a whole does not have that problem, but in particular, like that final moment was cinematic and powerful, you know, and like the fact that we went from this very perfectly paced light, you know, action, you know, action scene to action scene. I mean, I compare that whole lead up to this to the best of, you know, Star Wars movies are like that. It's like that kind of action and peril. And you know what I mean? Like, and, and the Indiana Jones movies to, you know, are, are like that. And it's, it's, I, I've never been able to adequately describe it, but it's just this very light, very bouncy kind of like going where you got to go. Right. And getting it done in this incredibly economical way. And then all of a sudden it becomes this it, not only is it a surprise, but it, it's it's delivered in a really powerful way. You know, A plus for this. Like, it's just another, just another t- tremendous episode of this series and the perfect way to end this episode. We got two to go and it's just like going to be another two weeks of us like heaping endless praise on this show, it seems. <laughs> This was an incredibly powerful last scene, probably one of the most powerful the MCU has ever dared to do, really. You really did feel like, well, how is a person to survive this? And I think, you know, it it certainly did its job in making me ask myself that question. Like, I just, I can't imagine what that must have been like for the people that were there. I mean, I didn't even learn about the partition until college, you know, like it's not something that I was even like aware of until relatively, I mean, obviously not that recently, I'm old, but like relatively recently in my life, you know? Um, so, you know, and honestly, like, I think the first time I saw it like represented in in like a piece of pop culture was an episode of Doctor Who, you know? So for, for the MCU to be using this as like a central piece of Kamala's journey, I think is is really impressive. Also, at the end of every week, I look at Google Trends to see what people are, you know, searching for after the show, because that's part of my job. Um, And every week, partition is in there. And I feel like if people are Googling partition, they're finding out what happened. That's a good thing, right? That's something that this show has done in terms of educating people who are watching it. Um, So, yeah. Partition is such an important part of of who we are both pakistan india bangladesh um and seeing that on screen and seeing them address it in a way that um is not political like they they mentioned that the way that the borders were drawn in the conversation that her kamala has with her nani where, where they're like you know i i have a pakistani passport but my roots are in india and we kind of get identities through what the englishmen have kind of um, told us what it is. And I, I, I see, I see that, uh, from our perspective, like conversations that I've had with my own grandmother, she, even though she was proud of her own country, she, she understand, understood the pain and loss that she suffered, um, through that migration, because 
that itself, that event was handled so poorly. So many lives were lost. Um, people were displaced. Um, having all of that, that's kind of in the memories and it's kind of used as a political point now between both India and Pakistan. And, I've, and I feel like um, that's addressing that and addressing that in a way that um, is kind of dear and kind of understandable to both people of both countries. I think that was, that was very important. I don't know if I could top that folks. Uh, does anybody have any uh, other final thoughts on this episode and, and what you think is next? I think I just want to add, we see, and I've been, I've been kind of hinting towards how excited I was that he's in the MCU, but for Khan, um, it's finally going to show up and we see him in a picture in the episode um, where she, where uh, the nanny shows him as her dad. Um, so I, I about shrieked when I saw that. I, I was like, yes, finally, because I've been trying to find a glimpse of him since the trailer came out. Um, and you will see me um, next week obsessing over how amazing Fawad Khan is. Um, and I can't wait for the world to see that because Chris Evans is got it's he's got nothing on him. I'm I'm hundred percent telling you this. Like America's ass is about to be dethroned. Wow. All right. <laughs> <laughs> on that note. Uh- <laughs> Um, I think that's it for this week's Marvel Standom, folks. We will be back next week with more from the entirety of the MCU. So make sure you're subscribing to us wherever you're listening right now. Don't forget to check out our web home, denigeek.com, where you can find all our Marvel coverage. Go to denigeek.com slash Marvel to get right to that. Drop us a line. Let us know your burning questions. Let us know what you want us to cover in upcoming episodes. Did you like the Dr. Doom segment? You want to see us do more stuff like that? Let us know, please. We're at Marvel Standom on Twitter and Instagram. Give those a follow. It's a quick way to get to us. Don't forget, we also have a DC show. So check out DC Standom when you can on all major podcast platforms. I just interviewed the showrunner of Superman and Lois about that amazing season two finale. So check that out when you can. Now, if you came in late, You'll be able to watch this entire episode on denigeek.com or at our YouTube home, Denigeek US. You can check out past episodes there and also wherever you get your podcast. Now, thank you once again to our special guests. Kristen, anything you want to plug? You want to tell, remind everybody where they can find you? Sure. Um, yes, you can find me everywhere at Kmaldo. That's K-A-Y-M-A-L-D-O. And I host um, a podcast and um, outlet called Pop Culture Planet, where we focus on the world of entertainment with a lens of inclusion and representation. So yeah, you can find me there. Well, I hope you'll come back and hang with us again because this was a lot of fun. Muzna, Muzna, as usual, thank you for all your insights. And uh, Muzna works with Kirsty and I every day and has to put up with me every day. So it's not just a once a week thing for her, unfortunately. Kristen, you get off, you get off easy. Like you get to go away and just come back and be a guest whenever you want. You know, Muzna has to put up with me Monday to Monday to Friday, nine to five. It's it's a rough scene. Uh, But Thank you both. And thank you to our producer, Andrew Halley. He is the best producer in any corner of the multiverse. Thank you to Denny Geek social media coordinator, Lee Parham. He's the one keeping you guys in line in the comments. Make sure you're following our TikTok at Denny Geek TV. Lee is doing great work over there as well. And a special shout out to Michael R. He makes the podcast version of this show all it can be. Most of all, though, Thank each and every one of you for watching, listening, following, subscribing. You know the deal. This has been Marvel Standom on the Denny Geek Network. Until next time, remember, folks, 
We stand together. <laughs>